to the Higher Ed Podcast. We uncover the future of higher education, current trends, insights from the sector's brightest, and actionable advice for leaders and executives. Creating impactful universities, well-branded colleges, and best-in-class student experiences. Join us as we redefine the sector one episode at a time. Welcome back. For another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast, I'm your host, Kamar D. Jarnett, and I'm here with an extraordinary guest. Uh, Really, really happy to have Dr. Torrance on the podcast. Uh, Dr. Torrance, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. And uh, I want to thank you, uh, first and foremost, for giving me the opportunity to talk about us. Um, That is Motlow State Community College, uh, where I am the the president um, and uh, the learner. Uh, and the coach uh, and uh, the person that uh, listens. Uh, I, I try to do all those things that I think are important to us all being successful. Um, and I, I definitely have to give a shout out to all of the employees that since they're doing what they do so well, it gives me the opportunity to have space to do this with you this, this morning. Gotcha, gotcha. Nice, nice. So how, how'd you become president? Oh, I, I like to say that it is uh, a force of falling up. Um, it, it was never an intentional uh, type of uh, ascension. It was really focused on whatever I was doing as a part of teams. Uh, and that was at the beginning as a faculty member and working in student affairs, uh, being participatory and just about everything I could get my hands in. And that's what I mean by falling up. It, it, you know, when you do something competently and not good or great, but just show up every day, do your job, uh, opportunities kept uh, presenting themselves. And um, the unfortunate or, or, or fortunate thing about saying yes is that you get an opportunity when you say yes. And I, I, I suffer from yesism, meaning that if, so, if I'm asked to do something, then I usually will say yes. And uh, we, we try to do it the best we possibly can. Uh, the, the normal trajectory within higher education and the academy is you can move through the ranks. And um, unfortunately, I've had great mentors um, this is not uh, a self-propelled opportunity, you know, sitting and being, the, you know, having the honor of being president at Milo State. Uh, it's lots of people uh, in a community behind me pushing and propelling and supporting uh, and um, often giving checks to whether or not, hey, that's a smart thing to do or you need to go back and do a little bit more research. Um, so, so obviously I went through the ranks of higher education, faculty members, student success, um, participant and employee, uh, dean. Um, assistant vice president, and then uh, fell into this opportunity uh, that I hope I was as, as prepared as I could be anyway uh, for it. And, and here we are. Here we are. Nice. Now, did had you always set out to, to to do something like this or did you have a whole nother path for yourself? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, I, I am. I am simply uh, an old ball coach is how I like to explain myself. I, I really was interested in uh, moving back to Richmond, Virginia, where I'm from. Uh, as, a, as a younger man and uh, taking over as the high school basketball coach in my high school, Meadowbrook High School, shout out to the Monarchs um, in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, teach English. Uh, that that was my original goal going through school. And uh, I got an opportunity um, through a couple of faculty members that asked, hey, are you interested in uh, getting a master's degree? Uh, and, and then subsequent looking beyond that, we, we'd love to consider you to be a faculty member one day. And uh, you know, Kamar had never thought about that as a, as an option. Um, but you don't know until you know, uh, one, that you 
belong in, in certain spaces uh, or fit in certain spaces. And, and I'd like to thank, you know, Michael Keller, uh, Charles, John, Mary. Uh, those are some of my professors who uh, saw something in me that I didn't know was in me. And, and here again, here we are. Yeah. No, I, I love that, too. And I, I think the humility and humbleness and, you know, they always, I, I'm a big sports fan, but they talk about a lot of times. Um, Shannon Sharp says this when you make it to the Hall of Fame. It's so many people, you know, the, like you said, the all the old ball, ball coach, you know, the, 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 the parents around the community, like so many people from high school to college that, you know, the mothers or fathers that made that drive, you know, um, you know, to take you to this weight league game or this workout and things right. like that. Um, it, it's so many people that are always a part of the journey. And um, I wasn't raised by my dad, but my uncle and my cousin were um, really big. And uh, I guess the male role models that I had. And um, I always tell my cousin, he was like, you know, whatever you need, you know, I've always got you. And um I'll always tell him, like, you know, my fondest memory of you is you taking me to, you know, the uh, 95 pound weight league uh, championship in Albright <laughs> College, you know, and it was an hour and a half away from where we lived. And I'm like, you know, now that I have kids, I'm an adult and I have responsibilities. Like, I realize how much it was for you to take an hour and a half out the day, drive me up there, wait for right. the game, watch the game, and an hour and a half back. And, um, I cried because we lost and he was teasing me, you know, he was like, are you crying? You know, and I remember that as if it was yesterday. And he's like, you know, don't do that to me. It gets me choked up. And I'm like, man, it chokes me up too. But I want you to know how much I appreciate, you know, kind of the role that you played during my formative years. So um, I really appreciate you just acknowledging so many people and, and those people that really helped to, you know, kind of get you to this point is huge. Yeah. Um, and, and if and if I didn't say my mother and, and, and my my wife and my children, I would hear about it because I'm sure they may listen to this at some point. Uh, but th those folks who serve as your nucleus. Right. And it's like anything else. You find them along the way or uh, they find you along the way. And, and, and when, when you bring people into the world, the only expectation that you can have of them is that uh, they will hopefully uh, hear good things about the works that you do. Because uh, a lot of things you don't get to take with you. And, and the one thing that I, I believe that as a, as a servant leader, uh, as someone who does the very best I can every day, and that's, that's my mantra for my kids, you know, do your best today uh, and know that you are enough uh, based on what you bring to every situation. And if you don't know, it's okay to say that you don't know. Uh, and, right. and, and when you are not well, it's okay to say that you're not well, that you're, hey, I only have 50% of my 100 percent to give today. Uh, right. I hope that's going to be enough uh, because yeah. you know we're, we're just human. We're just human. But at the end of the day, uh, when the epitaph uh, is up or uh, when the works uh, at particular boards and groups that I participate in, when it's finished, um, selfishly, I, I want people to, to be able to say to my, my children that, you know, we, we did the best we could with what we had and, and we, we, we kept it moving. Love it. Love it. Love it. So speaking of nucleus and, and kind of nuclear, right, kind of leads me into what we were talking about earlier, right? Infrastructure. Right. And how education, you know, can you know kind of help uh, play a part as we build infrastructure as society. But I'd love to hear you kind of expound on that a little bit for the audience. Sure. We've we got to think about the last 20 years in higher education as it relates to the, the impact of data. 
uh, the impact of the use of technology, uh, the impact of how will we take what we have and apply it, right, to make our business functions work better, uh, improve student success outcomes, persistence, engagement, retention, completion, success, uh, as we define it. And then the, the most important question I think we get to ask and ask me of those who come and decide to become trained or learned through us, the student, hey, what is success for you? So this infrastructure conversation can go as far back as the Obama administration and looking at putting in place uh, an infrastructure that's focused on closing the digital divide. That digital mm. divide has to do with small town rule. Because, uh, you know, if you're in a city, you have blazing uh, access to now 5G. Uh, but right. if you live in a small town rural area, you may still, in some instances, real talk, you are in a space where it may be dial up or you just don't get it at all. Um, sure. and, and I can speak to that because I just came from visiting uh, my mother uh, in, in the country, as we like to call it. Uh, outside of Petersburg, Virginia, where she does not have access to Wi-Fi, period. Uh, it, it does not come out there. There is no service for it. So what do you do? Uh, you, you become dependent on uh, finding and acquiescing to where you can find that uh, Wi-Fi or signal to do the work that needs to be done. In the 21st century, in this economy, um, the infrastructure is community colleges and technical colleges, in my humble opinion. It's, it's not that universities don't hold space. Uh, it's not that uh, mom and pop coffee shops don't hold space because they're just as important as a touch point uh, in small town rural. But for me, community and technical colleges really allow us to elevate access in closing the digital divide. Um, COVID is an example where we put infrastructure in place in our parking lots, uh, where we talked with business and industry owners in our communities and said, hey, our students may come and park in your uh, parking spaces so that they can do their homework and so that they can participate in, in, in their educational endeavors or training ventures. So, so those are examples. What we are going to see, I believe, uh, moving forward, and, and this is assumptive and forecasting on my part, is that uh, the, the, the nation and in uh, each state, small town, rural spaces, uh, they are going to have an expectation that in order for us to provide sustainable uh, access uh, to training and learning, and, and that is the micro-credentials through the degree pathways for people to go to work or transfer, we're going to have to see seeds uh, dropped uh, that are going to allow us to have that type of connectivity for infrastructure. And I know I've talked a lot about uh, how the vertical integration of technology improves the human condition. That, that really is my research question probably for the rest of my life. But there are other parts of the infrastructure that are important in terms of uh, improving dilapidated buildings. Uh, that haven't been uh, touched since the 60s. Uh, here in Tennessee, we are doing something about it uh, with good leadership from our Tennessee General Assembly, uh, the Tennessee Board of Regents and our governor. So other states, I, I hope that they move on that also so that people can have the best opportunity to access um, what this 21st century economy is expecting of us. Yeah, and I love this too because Earlier, you talked to me about, you know, uh, your daughter visiting Reno, and I'm wondering how much you know about Starlink, because I think Starlink may be able to help uh, close some of that uh, digital divide as well in some of the rural areas or, or, or the country. So um, I'm hoping that's able to have a positive impact as well. I, I think Starlink will, and, and I also think that the conversation around Web 3.0 will. Um, I also think that the conversation around 
uh, decentralized autonomous organizations or DAO uh, will uh, have an impact. Um, and as uh, the G7 and the G20 summits continue to convene um, across the, the, the ocean, what information is brought back as we see the hyperactivity around things like the use of the metaversity as a platform for virtual reality and extended reality as another fulcrum point. Really, it's, it's a pendulum swinger or game changer, as people would like to say, um, on, on how do we make sure that we are putting the type of information in, in, in order for people to sustainably uh, take advantage of their own personal identifiable information or PII, uh, as well as uh, what I like to call PUI, personally, personally usable information, where us as individuals and citizens of Tennessee, of the United States, of the globe, we get to determine who uses our information. And at the end of the day, we should profit off of that. Uh, it shouldn't be the, the, the Fortune 10 companies uh, making the determinations about what ads they're going to send to us and how they're going to share our information for their own personal gain. It, I think it's really important. And that dialogue is taking place uh, everywhere um, and, and sometimes in pockets, but in collapse spaces, usually where people are talking about the importance of having um, personal identifiable information and being able to have personal sovereignty over that. Right. Right. No, it, it's, I'm loving this, too, because I mean, like you're literally touching on everything that I've been kind of studying or researching, you know, as I started to invest in the market. And uh, I was just saying this yesterday, I think, you know, just when I you know, was all in with Tesla, you know, Nano telling me the metaverse may even be more of an opportunity than the sustainable energy and, you know, um, the uh, autonomous vehicles. Right. So, um you know, I guess the singularity is really, really approaching, you know, as, as we continue to innovate and innovate and innovate. Um, so I, I, I guess there's so many questions I have, but, you know, what part or what bigger part can the community colleges have, you know, from a curriculum standpoint in terms of, you know, AI, metaverse, uh, you know, sustainable energy, like all of these more innovative, uh, uh, when you talk about NVIDIA and chips, you know, are they, you know, preparing, uh, I guess, the children or the graduates of tomorrow, you know, to be able to think in this space and operate and work in these spaces? Yeah, if that so, makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it's a great question. I, I believe, and I mean that, I believe that, because I, I, I'm careful to say, uh, to stop saying I think, but I believe, I believe that the U.S. Department of Education, states departments of education, uh, and I can speak to what the Tennessee uh, Board of Regents is doing as a system, and I can speak to what our Department of Education in Tennessee is doing uh, as a system that has oversight of uh, pre-K through gray uh, education and training. We are seeing our leaders take advantage of these platforms of automation, um, advanced manufacturing, robotics, and in small pockets, we're seeing the, the use of uh, virtual reality for training, uh, extended reality for training. And I think it's really important that we have that conversation uh, on a broad scale that there isn't a separation between skill development and knowledge uh, because you have to have knowledge to develop the skill and then to go beyond the skill that you've obtained as it continues to accelerate and, and uh, enhance, right? Um, we know that these abilities that students learn and trainees learn, they're gonna change within three months, six months, one year. So the ability for us 
as community and technical colleges to stay engaged with people for the lifetime of their work and career lattice. I think that what's, that's what makes us unique because we can build customized um, learning platforms and we can bring it to our employers and we can bring it to our trainees who are our former students or alumnus. And we can do some things in four days or in one year that we have been set up to do. We can accelerate people's learning without it taking, uh, excuse me, without it taking away from their ability to learn and earn simultaneously. And and we'll continue to do that systematically and and get better and better and better at enhancing people's skill set where they are, when they want it, and how they need need it to have it delivered. Nice. So what do you see, I guess, as challenges to, you know, rolling some of these things out, you know, uh, community colleges, technical colleges, adapting, adjusting, you know, are there regulatory challenges? Are there uh, awareness challenges from leaderships within certain, you know, institutions or higher ed as a whole, uh, excuse me, as a whole? Or do you feel like the path is clear and this is going to be an easy transition? Uh I don't think any involvement is ever easy. I, I, I do. And I think we, we we understand that as a state and as a system, and I'm not speaking for anyone other than myself on this one, uh, based on my wherewithal of it, because I'm careful to say what I know and what I don't know. Um, usually I don't know as much as I'd like to know. Uh, but I would say that our, through leadership and across our organization, we know that at Motlow, for example, we have faculty who are uh, not buying in because if you buy it, you sell it. But they believe in uh, some of these platforms. The Metaversity is one of those platforms, specifically in our advanced uh, emergency management program. Our faculty who teach in this program are utilizing virtual reality to enhance instruction. We're haptics uh, for giving mouth to mouth or uh, the types of dosages or how do you keep someone alive as you get them to uh, the, the treatment facility or hospital or clinic uh, in our rural areas? They're using virtual reality for that. In our nursing programs, we have access to the same type of technology. In our advanced manufacturing uh, or mechatronics programs and robotics programs, we're utilizing virtual uh, training simulations where we're partnering with folks like Nissan and Bridgestone um, and, and other uh, OEMs and, and tier one manufacturers. So we know that we're prepared as best we can be. Um, the, the scalability of what the challenge is, is we don't know what we don't know until we know it. And when there are advancements made within these newer spaces, I, I, I can rely on this. Uh, and I mean this, I, I can rely on the fact that uh, Tennesseans have a blue collar work ethic. And as we're learning these new skills, uh, we're learning a new collar or, 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 you know, and that's what the new collar, that's what the new skills are called. They're called new collar skills. Um, we can apply that work ethic to these new collar skills. I think that's why we're being so successful um, as a, as a state, as a, as an institution at Motlow, being able to support and meet the needs of folks, because we don't know any other way. We are going to work hard. We're going to figure it out. And we're creative enough because people in Tennessee make things right. They whittle, uh, they they sew, uh, they, they crochet, um, they make wooden statues. We craft things here in terms of spirits. Um, so so we are, a, a, I think we're a very unique state uh, in terms of the creativity that's 
aligning with the industrial and new skill technology associated with the skill development now. Um, I, I, I just think we're special as a state. I think we're special as an institution here at Motlow uh, because we can meet those needs and demands. Absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, we fast forward this, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road. What does higher ed 2.0, 3.0 look like? Right. You know, when you talk about shorter curriculums or the six week programs and all of that in the metaverse, you know, what do you see it evolving to? It'll go back to your last question where challenges. And so it'll evolve from uh, the importance of policy developed for the success of individuals, um, the success of organizations, the success of states. Um, and it will mirror um, what do we believe aligns in terms of is it going to be STEM centric? Is it going to be humanities and art centric? Um, and the answer from my vantage point is it's going to do all of that. And so I believe that's going to be one and very important component of it, that policy is developed to support the emerging and uh, trends that will move from trend to being this is how we need to move forward to stay competitive in a global market. Um, sure. The numbers, two would be that we'll see higher education and uh, pre-K to 12 have an even more robust relationship uh, as we try to offset third grade literacy and, and move the needle forward so that that prison, the pipeline uh, becomes decentralized and shrinks uh, even further so that we have more people who graduate uh, high school who can move into the workplace, who can move into post-secondary education. Thirdly, and I have five. Thirdly, I think that it's going to it. be interesting to see how facets like Tennessee Promise, Tennessee Reconnect, Tennessee Strong continue to impact what we do in terms of preparation and transferability, uh, an opportunity for students here in Tennessee. Fourthly, how early developmentally is it appropriate for young people to earn a credential that allows them to work as entrepreneurs or privatized employees of one, meaning that they are uh, the skill bearer. Therefore, with the skill that they have, what developmentally appropriate um, jobs or uh, programs or projects could they have their hands on that mm -hmm. further allows institutions that are Fortune 10, Fortune 50, Fortune 100, Fortune 1000 to have access to this talent pipeline, this talent pool. And then the last, one, we, if you looked across the, the ecosystem of uh, long-term recovery, mental health, uh, those who are trafficked, we have a large dearth of individuals who are uh, transitioning back into what we would say uh, society, right? And so however we want to determine it, whether they're justice involved uh, or they're coming out of recovery on care facilities, mm -hmm. this is a large market of persons that serve as human capital. And they have wonderful abilities to learn, uh, wonderful abilities to uh, attribute uh, and give back to organizations and communities. So I think that the opportunity, excuse me, moving away from thinking to believing, I believe that these folks will have uh, the skill sets and the acumen to contribute positively back to the communities, whether they're moving into impacting economic and community development on a local level or regional level or state level. Um, so I think higher ed has um, a great opportunity in front of it, and I'm sure that we're going to meet the challenge. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we didn't get into the importance of the skill sets of electric vehicle technology, 
uh, the impact of uh, predictive analytics and the you know tying it into AI. And the most important part of all of this advanced uh, and enhanced technology is the efficacy of ethics and morality being built in based on not who's coding it, but what it, does it mean to be human? And, and that goes back to my question. How does the vertical integration of technology improve the human condition? It has to help all of us. Mm. No, this was amazing. I um I can't think of a better place to end it than here. Um, but I'd love to have you back maybe around the new year, uh, sometime between December or January. Of course, check with your schedule, but to cover those topics. Um, I mean, this 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 content and, and what we're speaking about is you know, kind of picks up on, and I don't know if you've ever heard this episode, but we, uh, Higher Ed Needs and Elon Musk, which was, um, you know, one of the episodes that really propelled us into, um, you know, more viewership. So this really picks up on that theme. So I'm excited about it. Really appreciate you joining us. This was an amazing podcast. And um, what a way to start the week. Hey, I, I have one question for uh, our listeners out there, and I hope they respond to you, Kamar, with the with the with the response. Um, how important is developing a long term plan for the workforce in the United States of America? And and the reason that I'm asking that question is we're all educators, we're all coaches, we're all counselors uh, in various capacities. So I'd be interested to hear from your viewership. Um, how do they see the importance of community and technical colleges playing a role in the development of workforce um, personnel and players and, and serving as the as as one, not the, but as one of the engines uh, to support businesses and industry and economic development in small term rural areas? Nice. Uh, is there any uh, way that our uh, audience can get in contact with you? Do you have a Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snap, LinkedIn that you want to share with the audience? Yes, sir. I I'm not cool enough to have any of the, the Facebook and Snap and TikTok stuff, but I, I do I do utilize uh, LinkedIn. Uh, that is the form because I, I like it because it's as professional uh, as I've seen uh, and, and getting to meet people and construct uh, virtual coffee meetings and, and, and to explore ideas uh, and, and in some instances have an adventure with with new uh, connections. Uh, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and I'd love to connect with anybody who'd like to have conversations about uh, this higher education space and the impact of workforce, student success uh, and community development. Absolutely. All right, my friend, you have a great week. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Go Bucks. For listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. For more information on topics discussed, you can visit engine.systems. Join us next week and every week after for more innovative and actionable advice. <laughs>